This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Next time we need a conductor. Note to start my hand on this. Beautiful. This is Dumpty Dum Folks, the show about the reality ducky drama that are centered on Amridge in the heart of the Middle East. I'm the slim line tonic that is Royfield Brown, and with me I have the triple vodka, Dr. Nicola Headlam, and the pint of shyest that is Dr. Cara Courage. And the last part of this week's slow descent into alcoholism, folks, is you. Now, wow, what a rousing <laughs> cacophony! Uh, of an intro. This week's Dumpty Dum was from Dr. Nicola Headland and Dr. Cara Courage and their pals at the Academic Archers. Good heavens. I can honestly say that is the most discombobulated. Like, I'm just going to like, call it as it is. That's the worst Dumpty Dum we've ever had. <laughs> That's why they're having monologues because you kind of get the timing right. So I think it proves the case of why the Beaver are right to have them one at a time. I think we should point out that that was done over Zoom, so of course it was discombobulated. Does it have any kind of analogy to the way that you run your uh, your group? Uh, How dare you! (laughs) It's a fair question to ask. Dumpty Dum's a slick, well-oiled machine. You come on, the pair of you, and you're like, can you play our Dumpty Dum Royfield? I'm like, all right then. And then this is what you're doing. 
All right. In our defence, right, that's that's an academic archer's challenge because we have done some all right dumdy dums over the years. But yes, as Clara says, that was over Zoom, which, as I say, is a case in point as to why you cannot have Zoom archers because it's all over the place. So there we are. Now, Nicola, if someone else would like to send us in a dumdy dum, how can they do that? If you would like to sing us a dumpty dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call on 0203 031 3105. Leave us a message on SpeakPipe or send a text message starting with dumb to 07786 200 690. So thanks to Yoko Bear and Bell, our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, the amazing Soundbridge for her voices and to the wonderful Lucy V. Freeman. On this week's episode, we hear views from Carol Witherspoon, Mia, Margot with the hard tea she's back, Ian, Sarah, Ali, Elsa, Beck and Jack. But first, we have our burning issue of the week. And our burning topic of the week is, is there enough diversity in Ambridge? I hadn't really thought too much about this, but on Friday, after our Zoom with Sonny, who plays Lillian, the chat afterwards, a good 20 minutes of it was taken up with where are the minorities, whether it's people with disabilities, whether it's people, ethnic minorities, etc. Very obviously, we have quite a prominent gay couple in Ambridge. But if somebody says to you, diversity in Ambridge, Nicola, do you go, you know what? It feels just about right to me. Do you go, blooming hell, it's all a hetero snowstorm? <laughs> Hetero snowstorm. Yeah, of course. In terms of a burning issue, it's a bit of a, a small match, isn't it? Because you like the match of diversity in Ambridge and it goes out immediately. We've, over time, the one that we've spent more, we actually have game on, um, is the differently abled because we had a brilliant professor, Kathy Runswick Cole, who did a paper for us a couple of years ago about why Bethany had to leave Ambridge because of the invisibility of disability. And her argument was that people do have, they have chronic illness and they have disability only in the, in the context of moving the story forward. So it's like the classic Brian's epilepsy. It's a short-term storyline, whereas if you, if you were epileptic, it would um, influence your life and, God forbid, your, your boozing a lot more day to day. So we've talked about this quite a lot. And then it comes down to the fact that all of that kind of stuff can just be routine and a bit of a downer for people. So that's possibly why chronic illness, I mean, don't get us started on Elizabeth Podgett's plaster over her depression. I mean, I think that's the last time I rang you, Roy, was to moan and say, how dare she have a packet of antidepressants and one session and that was that. There are those of us that need to be vigilant daily. Actually, last year, Cara, when we were on Women's Hour, there was a quite a ding-dong about the lack of non-white representation in Ambridge, wasn't there? There was. And I mean, I grew up in a very, very rural area. And I've got to say, it's very much a white monoculture down there still. I go around my village at home and it would look in that sense very much like Ambridge. Um, but I don't know that that's particularly good enough. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Cara. I kind of know the stats about this because I wrote an article uh, back in 2012. So if I'm out by a couple of percentage points, it's only a couple of percentage points. But 
There are approximately 13% of the UK population that is non-white. And then out of that 90, I'm going to say 95%, I think it's actually larger, it could be 96 or 97, let's say 95% of that population lives within England. So Northern Ireland, very white, Scotland, quite white, ditto Wales. Then if you were to look at the concentrations of non-white folks within England, it really breaks down into very few locations. London, which is some 33%, Birmingham, which could be majority minority now, Leeds, Bristol, then after that, oh, Leicester, uh, obviously, then there are the Northern Mill Towns. Bradford. Uh, yeah, Bradford. But then after that, it falls down rapidly. So actually, the non-white population of Manchester is actually quite small, even by UK standards, by England standards. Ditto Liverpool. If you go to Newcastle, it's, it's extremely white, let alone Middlesbrough, et cetera, et cetera. So in many ways, Ambridge is spot on uh, and is very representative of England. So what's the issue? I mean, certainly for me, coming from the West Country and really, really deepest, you know, remote rural West Country, it is incredibly white down there. You know, the only people of colour down there are the people that run the Thai restaurant. And I find it very uncomfortable and very odd to go from, you know, my work in London and my home in Brighton to go down to that village and it being so white. I think the BBC do have a responsibility to have a lead in change, to change opinion so that people can hear different voices. And I think that's where my frustration with this goes. I, I can appreciate or I can understand that, yes, it is representative of a average village in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. But I, I don't know that that washes any longer, to be quite honest. Mm. I think what's interesting about it is this is why, why the fandom gets all grumpy and, dare I say, dumpty dummers and even academic archers, is there's this big question as the uh, disposable heroes of hypocrisy might have said, Ambridge, is it the reflector or the director? <laughs> so I think that that, um, that question about what, whether it should lead on social change or whether it is a, a representation and a reflection. So obvious cleavages and intersections of race and class and gender and heteronormativity and all the rest of it. I mean, yes, Royfield, Ian and um, Adam apparently are non-hetero uh, males, but we had a brilliant paper a couple of years ago, which was they're homosexual but not gay, <laughs> which, because they're the most het norm in a way. Can I, can I pick you up on something there, Nicola? When you yes. said about whether to lead or direct or what have you. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah, yeah. to sit through and we'll have to sit through yet more of the turgid rewilding and so if the archers was prepared to lead on rewilding, why couldn't it lead mm. on representation and it's you know and have a really interesting storyline there about family of colour coming into the village or whatever it may be? Why couldn't they do that? Because conflict does happen and it challenges a lot of people. I think this goes back to Royfield when you were saying earlier as well about the reaction to people um, in the village about Adam and Ian having a child. And you'd have said somebody would have said it in the pub. Well, that's a bit weird, isn't yeah. it? Or, you know, and then someone else would pick them up. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? It's like they have done it. I, you know, I agree with your on the stats as well. Of course, Royfield, I think it's probably nearly 99% probably in the metro area. And I've got to say, as somebody that was brought up in the countryside from a gay, with a gay dad, my gay dad was not a boring person at all, but I know a lot of Adam and Ian's that have cashed in their <laughs> London flat and are living a very boring life in the countryside. So I don't think they're alone on that. 
I mean, they did do a bit of that, didn't they? Because there was when there was Usha had much more of a main character. She then had a wider family, so she had Auntie Satya and others, and that that they sort of gave it a go with that. But just the same as with Bethany, right? They went there to have a Down syndrome child. But then, as Catherine has been has schooled us over the years, you know, they weren't prepared to take that to the point where she could be embraced by the village and she'd have a life in Ambridge. Mm. I think that's uh, very fair. And I think what happened with Bethany, obviously there was a diktat from on high that we're going to have this character who's going to be born into the village, who's going to be differently abled, and she and you're going to go see her go through her life and she's going to be a fully functioning part of the community. Problem is with what happened there is that script editor changed mm. and he just didn't like it so they did start that none of the and also uh, isn't alan's daughter um Amy, mixed race yes and actually somebody made the brilliant point which is the reason why i said hmm maybe we should do this as our burning topic of the week um mm-hmm. somebody said on friday i think it was pat pat said we're in the middle of a, a pandemic where the NHS has been lionised. And actually, we have one character who works for the NHS. It's Amy Franks. You know, she should have been dusted off and kind of brought back, mm. you know, to have a we monologue We thought she should have been her. brought back for Helen, though. We, you know, it, there's a long-running thing in academic archers that, you know, people howling at their radios, I am a safeguarding officer, I'm a teacher, I'm a midwife, I'm a social worker. If any of those red flags around, in, around, like, for example, Helen and coercive control, if there was a functioning public service in Ambridge, then that, that's the point, right? There is networks and webs of caring professions which support families, but not really in Ambridge. They're not really in evidence in Ambridge. And this is utterly fascinating, listening to the pair of you, uh, <laughs> Chatter and Natter, uh, because you really can see that you are somewhat of a, a very competent and a knowledgeable double act. Props to, to the two doctors here. But for, you kind of have to tell us what exactly the academic archers actually is, because we're some 20 odd minutes into this and there's going to be a few listeners who are going to like, what, what, what's all this about then? So who wants to go first? What is the academic archers? Academic archers exists because of Cara, because it wouldn't exist. I'm the kind of person that would just be over a pint raging about something or another. And it's Cara's dynamism that means that we've had all these conferences and written all these books. So I will let her introduce us to you. Oh, that's very sweet. So Nicola and I met on Twitter and somebody introduced us and basically said, you two need to talk about the archers. And our research interests overlapped uh, in sort of urban-y planning policy sort of stuff. And then we had this little conversation on Twitter about uh, what if we were to write an academic paper on this subject, what would the title be? And then that suddenly morphed into let's do a conference. The conference is attended by listeners, just anybody, but um, the and they're all of our anybody that is an academic archer at our conference or on our Facebook page, we call them our research fellows because they really are the experts on this. But there's loads of academic fans of the archers, and it's just a big excuse for them to shoehorn their research into their love of the show. So we've had talks from psychologists, from people talking about tractors and Tony's back. I mean, all sorts of things. And we're coming up to our fifth conference next year. Uh, We've done three books in total over that time, which is just the papers written up into sort of book form. But they're all very tongue in cheek. We take the archers very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously at all. So it's, it's all a lot of good fun smashing so if anybody wants to join 
uh, the academic archers and uh, if they've got if they're an academic and they kind of like the archers I suppose does that just mean that you'll have any old body in or they have to pass some rigorous entrance exam how does it work yeah no exams our values are to be curious generous and joyful and if you can manage that then you can come in I feel somewhat of a fraud, the fact that I'm actually part of your, your Facebook group because I got kicked out of Northbrook College and it wasn't even a proper uni and I didn't manage to finish that. So um, the fact that you'll have me, you'll have anyone. So so don't worry, folks, you don't have to be that clever, uh, but 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 you are a lovely bunch. Um, so just before we move on and we do corner in us, where exactly can people find you online Tell us about your wonderful conferences and then I'll like, you know, give you some more big ups and then we'll go into caller in us. <laughs> um, academic Archers into Facebook. You'll find us there. Uh, we are Academic Archers on Twitter. And um, if you go to academicarchers.net, that's where you'll see absolutely everything to do with us. And you'll see recordings there from the past conferences. We travel around the country with the conferences so we can try and get as many people there as possible. And there's usually about 150 to 170 that come every year. But if anybody's got any burning issue that they want to talk about, professional, academic, person or other, um, then they're welcome to submit an idea because we really do. We are so open and generous and just love every idea that we have coming through so our challenge is to try and get everything all into one and a half days at conference you know quite a lot of our peeps so like claire astbury who does maps map corner with you as oh, our. Oh, what do you mean she's not your peeps she's my peeps all right all right all right claire <laughs> go on twitter and say whose peeps you are no i'm just saying she's our resident housing expert and also she does maps with you we have so Mia. I mean, absolutely stalwart has been to all the conferences. Who's the chaplain in at Newcastle Uni? I must admit, everybody that I know that's ever been to an academic archers conferences says it's blooming good fun. I have watched a few of them uh, online now. So um, you are a very much an inclusive bunch. Even though you're a bunch of geeks and boffins, uh, you're kind of human too. So on that <laughs> profound note... That should have, be a T-shirt. <laughs> let's have a little bit of this. Hello, Ambridge3962. This call is from Elsa, and really, we kind of could have played this as part of our burning topic of the week. Uh, but anyway, here's Elsa. Hi, it's Elsa again. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to do two voicemails, but there was something I wasn't going to talk about. And then I re-listened to the omnibus, and I decided I couldn't not mention it. Um, it's not funny. I think that's why I didn't want to talk about it, but um, I thought I should say something. And that is to do with the Harrison storyline storyline being a loose term at the moment i'm wondering if now is really the right time to be covering a story about a police officer and clapping for a police officer especially one who says in the storyline he becomes a police officer because he was bullied and he wants to then gain control it just feels clunky and not all police officers e and i'm not black and i don't want to be speaking for black people but if I'm not bringing it up does that mean make me complicit I don't know I don't I don't know if I really have the right thoughts but it just feels like in this time of Black Lives Matter and with all of the awful things that we've been seeing saying yeah but not all police officers are awful not all police officers are racist isn't helpful 
for them for the movement we know that there's an issue there's a systematic issue and saying yeah but this police officer is great doesn't help change anything um anyway it's not funny sorry i think it's important to mention thanks bye as the the token ethnic uh, on the podcast today i'll go first and i did say this pre george floyd when i was much younger i was stopped disproportionately by the police and when mm. i moved to worthing uh, on the south coast uh, within one month of moving to worthing to go to college i was stopped three times by the police never been stopped by the police before i was 19 at the time and the last time was at 9am in the morning so it's hardly like this was 3am and I was skulking around I was 9am in the morning and I was walking to college in terms of me driving around um, I've been stopped disproportionately by the police I don't think even the most radical of people who support Black Lives Matter believe that we should get rid of the police as an institution Even if you believe in defunding the police, that is not getting rid of the police. And there still is a role for policing. That's the first thing. So as somebody who is very much pro-Black Lives Matter, I am supportive of the institution in so much that it wants to change, wants to recognise the role that it plays with a systematic diminishing of the human rights of black people and people of colour on both sides of the Atlantic. I'm pro Uh, the police. And it has to be in that regard. And it has to be said that whether it's uh, through Black Lives Matter and specifically the George Floyd protests, one of the most heartwarming things that I I saw was in those early demonstrations were local county sheriffs that took off their flat jackets and Mm. actually said, we are going to march with you. There is something. And also at the start of that whole movement, one of the reasons why it took fire and the media took hold of it and knew that something different was up was because so many police chiefs said we we cannot condone this the police Mm. chief in minneapolis said that the day afterwards and so many others so i can't rag on the institution of the police per se but what the police are is the the sharp point of our society's unconscious and sometimes very conscious bias. And that's where people of colour, people like me, come up against society's ingrained prejudice. But within society, there, there are these pressures, there are these, these deep malevolent forces, and the police are just the very easiest manifestation of it. So we can't just blame the police per se. So police-wise, I think it's interesting because there's been suspicion about the police from the left as well, historically. You know, there's classic, you know, you get, I, I've regularly been at anti-fascist demonstrations and, you know, getting kettled and all that kind of thing and on anti-war protests. And there is suspicion on all sides of the police in this country, which suggests that maybe they might be about right in that they're kind of, there is suspicion. But yes, I don't think that defunding the police has, has ignited in the same way in this country because of a long history of attempting to do proper community policing. Um, but I think maybe we could let Ambridge off on this one a little bit and you know prepare the, the Twitter pylon because I think what they were trying to do with all of this was to make Harrison a bit less two-dimensional because everybody's thinking that um, it's going to be that Fallon's going to be about to have a baby. Isn't that what the, the sort of vibe is? So I'm not sure, but there is kind of, I mean, I, <laughs> there is a sort of geopolitical 
um, tone to trying to humanise Harrison. I think it's much more about softening him up for fatherhood. And that's the thing about the art, isn't it, right? It's like reflecting and directing, but also some of it is, you know, the very, very micro-politics of a family and some of it's the geopolitics of those issues. And I think you're right to, to feel uncomfortable and you're right to sort of call it. But I think, it, for me... That isn't about rehabilitating re- rehabilitation of the institution of policing. It's about trying to humanise this sort of slightly awkward mank that's married Fallon and by extension become a kind of bit part in the Archer's uh, clan. I got a sneaky feeling that him becoming a sergeant is kind of key to this him becoming much more of, instead of him being a peripheral character, because he's utterly been a peripheral character, that um, he's been uh, moved somewhat kind of centre stage, so to speak. But Elsa, thank you for your call. Now it's Ali. Hi, Royfield, Carrie, and Peter, and all the dum dumbers My name is Ali, and I am from the swamp. That is Washington, D.C. in the United States. I started listening in about 2017, I believe. So I'm a Rosie, and I wanted to call in this week because... Last week's episode, everyone seemed to take a completely different um, focus than on what Alice did than I did. And perhaps it's because I did just do a similar thing to what she did. Um, now, I don't have a drink you problem. I do have two small children um, that make me feel like I should drink sometimes, but I think that what's going on with COVID, to Carrie's point last week about how it was, how how she's thinking, she's seeing relationships draw closer, is we're is we're seeing relationships being magnified. Good relationships are becoming better, um, but at the same time, many bad relationships are becoming more fractious. And I think that maybe be slightly critical. Arches has focused on that a little t- too much, but you know what relationships would they focus on? How wonderful it is! Um, the one that we know is falsely wonderful, Christy and and, and Philip. I don't know how you really do that. Anyways, bye. Uh, thank you, Ali. Kara, what do you reckon to the main thrust of what Ali said? I, I agree. Actually, I think it COVID has put so much pressure on relationships and. We could see this as um, as an outcome of that. I mean, I don't know that either of those two characters have actually said the word COVID as yet. It does feel that this storyline is building up to something, and it seems to have accelerated quite a lot. I know on the on the podcast before we sort of said actually the Alice storyline seems to have dipped down a bit, and now it's back in full force. What was it that Chris said? Alice has got nothing to do now, so maybe we can have a kid, which uh, I was slightly at but those two things seem to be coming together and well one quite grateful for that in terms of just ramping up a bit of energy into the monologues but I do wonder where it's going to go and actually when it's going to hit us because I think it's going to be quite soon but also if you think about alcoholism as well this is something that could play out over years it's interesting I do feel for Alice I think she has got stuff going on for her that would you know, make her turn to the booze. I'm not sure where this one is going for the moment, but the energy in it has definitely um, come to the fore. I think this has been fantastic, actually, because 
Yeah, you know, as we all know, the British drinking culture is so prodigious. At certain life stages, it's totally appropriate to be, you know, doing too much of anything. So if you compare and contrast another substance misuse story, which was obviously Freddie and Johnny. So Johnny was perfectly happy taking some recreational drugs in a festival context. But then when he brought it home, he was like, oh, no, that's not on. And it's the same with alcohol, you know. The point is, we've got a village here where everybody's either in the pub or in the cider club. And this is this has been beautifully balanced and poised for years now. Because yes, Carl is right. We know that this relationship, in some ways, is not of, of uh, a meeting of true minds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We know that she. I mean, we've got endless theories about the Aldridges that go back years, and we must represent, um, you know, Lou Gilly's paper on how dysfunctional the Aldridges are. There was no space for Alice or Kate in the 80s when basically both Brian and uh, Jennifer were off. You know, the children of lovers are always orphans, but I mean, they were constantly having love affairs and none of their energy, their real energy in themselves was in that house. But the emotional deprivation of the Aldridge girls has left them completely unable to function in the world. And I think that this is all a a huge indictment of uh, where you try and buy kids off rather than help them to be in the world. Alice has, Alice has been on the sort of socially acceptable side of heavy drinking. And yeah, she can't cope with the pressure of COVID or her job or her life or her husband. And yeah, it's very, it's very credible that she would tip over. I didn't realise that Chris has a problem with alcohol too. Well, it would certainly seem that way, or at least I guess they're colluding with each other, aren't they, a little bit. And we've had the storyline with Chris having the business pressure with the complaint against him. So in a way, no wonder he wouldn't mind a big glass of wine at the end of the day. Alice comes from a family that is not shy of alcohol. But to challenge somebody on their drinking, it's really confronting to yourself if you're going to do that, because it holds a mirror up to you and how much you drink. So I wonder whether actually anybody in the family would actually really pick her up on that because it would be confronting to themselves. And then we have Brian saying, yeah, nothing wrong with a little, you know, tot of whiskey first thing in the morning sort of thing. So he's colluding with her too. So I'm not sure whether anybody would pick her up on her drinking. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to be Chris at the moment either. But I've got a, I've got a little bit of a prop prediction on Ooh. this one. Okay. So we know that Alice doesn't want to stop drinking and we know that she can hide her drinking. And we know that the storyline about them starting with a family seems to be coming to a head. So I wonder if Alice would, so that she can carry on her drinking, go along with Chris and say, yep, let's start a family, but actually take the pill instead. And not to suggest that that's a tactic that women use before any incels start to email in or what have you. But when Chris would find that out, that's a really good bit of drama, but that would really bring the crisis of their relationship to a head. I'd quite like to listen to that, I think. That is a great plot prediction for no other reason than it would utterly mirror her sister and her sister, Kate, wanting to become pregnant. And we know that there is a level of sibling rivalry between them. Of course. So if that was to play out like that, and then Alice was then to say to Kate, oh, you know, Chris really wants a baby, but you know, I don't. So I'm telling that we we are trying, but I'm not. Uh, then Kate's reaction could be incredibly, number one, unpredictable, and two, delicious for us, the listeners. 
absolutely. I'm all for delicious listening for the archers. I mean, the biggest loser in that is going to be Susan, obviously, because no more dinners with the Aldridges. But I think <laughs> you're right, Royford, it would open up a very juicy can of worms within the Aldridge family, I think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Thank you for that call. Now it's Jack. Greetings to you all, Dumpty Dummers. It's Jack, thoroughly enjoying the latest Dumpty Dum from Francesca in Cardiff. Very catchy. I'm singing it around the house. Do you often make music, Francesca? It'd be interesting to know. Has anybody heard the recent parody of The Archers on Dead Ringers? You can find it on the Friday Night Podcast. Um, very amusing as well. Thoroughly enjoying as well the storyline with Tim and Ed. It would be great if we could have Tim back for the monologues or when the drama begins again. He, uh, the actor that plays Tim plays him very, very well, I think. Now, you hit upon something last week, all the people on Dumpty Dum, about why you listen to The Archers. And purely the reason why I listen to The Archers is because I feel like I'm with Brian and Jennifer in the kitchen. I feel like I'm with Ruth and David while they're arguing. I feel like I'm with... Peggy and Kate, um, and that's purely the reason, uh, and it makes me feel like I'm included in something. Um, don't forget as well that we have the uh, Nigel Pargeter triptych um, for another episode, and remember as well, of course, you can become a Patreon of that too. Bye for now. You know what, Jack? I love you. You're a proper cheerleader for, for everything that we do and for the whole kind of like kit and caboodle, the whole world of a uh, archers fandom and we forgot to say last week um what exactly is happening with the sunday zoom alongs you did ask that question we're too busy nattering amongst ourselves actually to answer that uh, specific point so we are going to do it again jack in about four or five weeks time i spoke to quentin and to Rosie Porty, and they're up for it. We had a big conflab yesterday. So the, it will be coming back, but it's not going to be a weekly thing. Uh, we, we, we're kind of earmarking just monthly at the moment. What else did Jack talk about there, Cara? He talked about um, Timothée and Ed. Timothée coming oh, yes. back and being a very good actor. I've got to say that scene of, of Ed working out who was coming along in the van was like, oh, my God, it's so painful. Ed is a bear of very little brain at the best of times. Jack then said about why do we listen to the archers and for mm. Jack it was to feel included in something, and I get that, and I think that's why we're all fans and do things like Academic Archers and Dumpty Dum Podcasts. It's because it is just a lovely way to feel included in something. And that is what the best immersive dramas actually do they actually make us feel included there is a special place for radio and for audio dramas because they allow us actually to lean in and actually create our own world around the world of the drama so in many ways uh, an audio drama is even more immersive than a visual one I agree. I almost crashed a car once listening to a radio <laughs> drama on Radio 4 because I was so engrossed and luckily I hit the brake just in time. <laughs> just, just to repeat the point, um, audio drama done correctly is much more brighter and more, much more technicolour than the best film with the best cinematographer because the actors look exactly how you want. The, the visual props are exactly the, the way that you want them. However, that leads me on to a, another point. Jack, I think you are blind. If you are, or if you're not, please let me know. But uh, I know that we have quite a few blind listeners of Dum-de-Dum. 
and I have talked about this before, uh, we are going to do a special episode looking at the blind community and what a part uh, the the archers actually plays in their life. And I know that I've had a couple of emails with people saying, yes, we're going to be part of that show. I can't remember, Jack, if you said you are blind. I think you are. Let me know via via email and then we can get that show together. But again, thank you for your contributions, Jack. Uh, the next caller is Elsa again. Hi, Dumb to Dumbers. It's Elsa here from Newbury. I'm going to get cracking because I've got a few things to say this week. First off being that Fallon is definitely pregnant. Um, I'm not the first person to say this. I've seen it all over um, the Facebooks. But for sure she's pregnant. Um, and she needs to find a better way to tell him than to create a baby bank account and show him the paperwork for it because that was not romantic when she did it for the proposal and it wouldn't be cute if she did it now. Second thing I want to talk about is Lizzie. She needs to get herself on Tinder, get swiping away, get a good shag under her belt and then she can start thinking about a proper boyfriend i think she needs to feel a bit better about herself and like just do a bit of being a slut for a while before she settles down again come on lizzie live a little um which brings me on to my third point which is that all of these problems could be solved if susan just started doing her agony aunt column is that what you call it on the radio? Um, if these people phoned in, they could be anonymous. But Susan would have great advice for them all. She'd be like, Lizzie, come on. Well, anonymous Loxley, come on. Just go and have some meaningless sex, and then you can start thinking about boyfriends. Fallon, make sure you make a cute announcement for the baby. Which brings me nicely to my care package for this week. I'm going to send Fallon a really cute, like, little baby grow. It says something like, uh, future PC baby um, and then a little video camera so she can film showing Harrison uh, and then that'll be really cute and she can go viral. Anyway, hope you're all doing well, well and I'll speak to you all soon. Bye. Over to you, Cara. I'm not talking about dating, Tinder or anything like that. We did that last week. What should Lizzie be doing? I'm using the word slut in a very empowered way. Lizzie, absolutely get out there. She really does need some fun in her life. Um, whether she can actually get enough matches on Tinder in the remote countryside area, I don't know. So she might have to go into Felpersham uh, and see what she can pick up there. Um, I love the idea of Susan as an agony aunt. I think that would be great. And it reminds me of the wonderful Auntie Satya in the old Ambridge Observer emails that Christian, uh, Christine Michael used to do. They were absolutely hilarious and very much missed. Christine, please do come back and do those. And I guess, yeah, fat and pregnant. If she wasn't before, she definitely will be after the pots and pans night. Um, and the baby <laughs> PC poo, something like that on top of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Elsa, uh, thank you for your call. Uh, we're rattling through things now. Ian, your time is now. Hello, it's Ian up in Edinburgh. Um, I've not called in for a while, but yes, I'm one of the apparently disproportionate number of Scots um, calling in, um, which is ironic because one of the things that I was going to say was that I was laughing about the plots prediction from one of the callers this week, uh, saying that Adam was going to come to Scotland and bump into Charlie. I'm thinking, well, you know, there's maybe a tenth of the number of people that are in England, but there's still five million of us. Um, but, you know, um, if, if Harry, if Harry, if Charlie happens to be having a day shopping in, in Edinburgh rather than squirreled away up in the Highlands um, in his tweets, then yes, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. And, and of course, dramatic license, that could happen. Um, I was thinking about... Uh, Chris this week um, just reliving the utter disappointment of when they changed the actor and hot Chris evaporated overnight 
Um, so I'm finding it much harder to be um, excited about um, or and or sympathetic to um, to the more recent actor. Although I know he's been there for yonks now as well. But yeah, that scene with old Chris in the in the forge with Jennifer catching him and Alice, and he was naked under his, under his apron. Um, wow, that was that was a a highlight of your um, for me. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm I'm okay with the archers at the moment. I got a bit annoyed about um, the way that the fly tipping in David's field turned out not to be anything to do with Philip having thought that we were about to get some movement on that. Um, but you know, that's, that's, well, yeah, we would have been nice to have had some movement and I'm now on Wednesday night. So I'm presumably waiting to discover that Tim Ote is the person who's back, um, washing his hair and dumping, um, stuff in in ed's ed's field at the moment but there you go um nice to hear you all thanks uh, royfield and kerry and peter um for the program and i'll um hear you speak speak again soon Cheerio. the one thing which has been really marked for me about listening to last week's output is that we really are moving plot forward aren't we the first couple of weeks were just we're filling in dead air and it was characters really talking about how they felt about things um, at the moment as opposed to moving plot forward but we have had the fly tipping thing and the dramatic denouement uh, last week of which we go okay we kind of know where this is going now in terms of you know wrongans turning up again and then very obviously with Alice and her descent into alcoholism it does I think you know with people being so divided about the monologues I mean I don't mind them really I think like all of us at the beginning, we were all just trying to muddle along. Um, and then we all just settled down into a bit of a pattern. And now things are changing again. And I think the Archers has kind of gone through that same kind of ebb and flow or its own story arc with that, actually. Now that they are recording again or beginning to record again, I think it is. it does feel like we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to get the old Archers back and they need to have slotted in certain storylines before that moment happens. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Ian, one of the many Scots that listens uh, to Dum De Dum, uh, we salute you and thank you, sir. Can I say one thing to Go Ian? On. I'm probably the only person who is in charge of this campaign, which is the Bring Back Charlie Thomas campaign. I loved him. Such a complex character, playing ambivalent so well, putting a real shot up the arse of Adam and Ian's relationship. So I really, really hope they bump into each other. And you could say shot up the arse, but I couldn't follow. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, you weren't the only person who is a big Charlie Thomas fan. I think Yokel Bear was definitely one of them. You know, he's a member number two in your Charlie Thomas fan. Very good. It seems that Charlie Thomas was actually like a proper grown up. I think everybody else in Ambridge needs to sit down with a therapist for a good long time. And then Charlie Thomas came in and it's like, yeah, no, he's like, he's like a person actually is. And I think that's why I fell in love with him. I don't know if I completely and utterly agree with you. Would Neil Carter need to go and see a therapist? Uh, no, no, probably not. I mean, I, I'm saying this obviously through rose-tinted glasses mm. out of sheer desire and passion for what I imagine Charlie Thomas to look like. <laughs> so it's biased, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, we have the power of audio drama, don't we? You know, Charlie Thomas in your mind's eye is your ideal bloke. Yeah, you know. yeah completely. In every single way, yeah. Ooh. The temperature is arising, so we best move on. Hello, Royfield, Kerry and Peter. It's Beth here from Warrington. I'm just ringing to say how much I enjoyed the Zoom meeting on Friday. Sunny was fabulous. 
and as a woman of a certain age, my mantra from now on at any given situation will be, what would Sonny do? I watched it on the YouTube and found the Dumpty Dummers were ent very entertaining. So thanks to everybody. Back to the programme, I thought the episodes this week were much better. I felt they moved some of the plots on and laid the groundwork for the dialogue episodes to follow. Lastly, Alice is drinking. I feel this story is true to life. We have seen over the past few years that Alice turns to drink at moments of stress, both in the home and at work. I can see how Covid and losing her job have brought on a crisis in her drinking. She is in denial about the extent of her addiction and is enabled by Brian and Chris. Unfortunately, as Chris's business declines, I can only see a downward spiral in her predicament. Well, that's all from me. See you soon. Bye. Uh, bye bye. And and thank you for uh, giving us a big ups for the Friday Zoom. But uh, really, uh, Beck was just really echoing what we've said previously, wasn't she? That plot is definitely now starting to come back into these monologues. Things are moving on. It's not to disagree with, with her, but just to kind of embellish the point. She talked about Alice using alcohol as uh, a crutch for when she feels under some, some kind of stress or disappointment. But she uses it as as a supplement for everything doesn't she if she's happy if her and chris are happy it aids celebration of course they have a drink um for her to get up in the morning uh the first thing she's trying to do is trying to find uh you know some kind of drink or is it too early and then of course with disappointment it's a crutch as well isn't it yeah, I mean, it, she, it's her go-to for absolutely any emotion that she yeah. seems to be having at the moment. It's interesting what Beck said, though, about the downward spiral of Chris's business. When that complaint came along, I did think that was where they were going to take it, and it may still well be. But it did seem to get kind of wrapped up in like, oh, no, she was okay about it. I went and apologised, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know if that will come back or not. But, I mean, it would certainly add to that deliciousness of my plot prediction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they're suddenly sort of destitute alcoholics. Uh, rowing about whether they have children or not. Absolutely. Uh, now we go to the Upper Lower East West Side and it's Witherspoon. Greetings everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. A particular shout out to my friends Millie Bell and Yoko Bear. A big thank you for your years of service to our podcast and community. I will miss you both. I'm writing to you during our annual summer holiday, this year from a converted barn in Germantown, New York overlooking a small swimming hole in the Hudson River Valley and looking due west at the Catskill Mountains. It's the fortnight in North America when the temperatures are at its highest. Tomorrow it will be 98 degrees, not the boy band, but in Fahrenheit, which is a toasty 36.6 degrees centigrade. Too warm for our Yoko Bear. I could also hear a tipsy before noon Alice slurring the question, it's hot in here, isn't it? The slowly simmering Alice drinking story is nearing a boiling point. We may guffaw at her early morning wine orders, but of course it's a serious problem for many. I trust the Archer's writers will do a good job in presenting it. A few points. Alice has grown up in a family where excessive drinking has been tolerated, if not celebrated. See Brian and Kate in particular. Her husband is in the land of denial and imbibes a bit himself. Alice's maternal grandfather was an alcoholic. Biological factors play a major role in the development of the illness. Did you know that people with a family history of the condition are up to 50% more likely to develop alcoholism? 
People metabolize alcohol in different ways. Those who experience the pleasurable effects rather than the negative effects have a higher likelihood of developing alcohol abuse problems. Those predisposed to alcoholism may have smaller amygdalas, the part of the brain linked to cravings and emotions. Just saying. We'll discuss treatment options when the time comes. Talk to you soon. I just had an idea, Cara. Go on. And this is breaking news for for all dumpty dummers. But um, off mic yesterday. Okay. Let let me let me back up. The reason why you can't hear Nicola is because uh, recording this show over two days. And of course, you're going, blooming hell, Royford, you're editing so good. I didn't even realise. But yes, <laughs> we started this on Monday and then I, we, I had a catastrophic internet uh, failure, i.e. the internet just switched off, uh, which means that um, we're doing this uh, on the second day. But uh, in between that, I did say to the academic archers, to the head honchos, the two doctors of the academic archers, Blimey, O'Reilly, you pair are good. You're, you're, you're great value. And you should come on to Dumdy Dum twice a year. Once uh, a couple of months before you do your conference to pimp it. And another just because of which the answer was, Royfield, uh, are you going to be scheduling holidays at that point? You know, do, am I, <laughs> do I just want a, you know some free hosting standing, which is not at all the case. Mm. But, mm, uh, but it did, did occur to me whilst listening to Witherspoon, and his rather uh, detailed and medical description of people who are more prone to alcoholism, that we could get with a spoon on the show with you, Pear, when you do it. Oh, that would my be fantastic. Lord. That I'd be starstruck. That would be amazing. It would be, I mean, he's he's he is such good value. Everything he says is just so insightful and interesting, and puts another twist on what I'm thinking about a particular storyline. It would be good if we could go over to do it in his barn that looks over the Catskills, obviously. So I'm going to put that request in right now. I don't know what your budget is, Royfield. <laughs> limitless, limitless. <laughs> Or it wouldn't at all be a bad thing if you could just like nip over, uh, go to New York and do it out of his uh, handsome husband's club. You know, we've had at least three mini dum dum meetups in New York there. So, but why don't you and the and the other good doctor nip over on the dum dum shilling and uh, go and record an episode with, with, with a spoon there if you can't do, you know, the cat skills. Well, you've you've put that down on tape now, Royfield. That's as good as a contract. Listen, if we can, if we if we can talk about contracts and crossing T's and dotting I's, no such thing as tape anymore. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Margot with a hard T, who's similarly from that side of the Atlantic. Good morning, Royfield, Carrie, Peter, and Dumpty Dummers all over the world. It's Margot from New Jersey. It's been some time since I've called in, and things have been a little bit more than hectic. But I've been listening and catching up with everything. The monologues are still hard for me to listen to, and as others have pointed out, it's really hard to remember all the information during the week, and then the podcasts, for whatever reason, make me really tired. So as I generally listen at night, I'm passing out midway through, and then I'm trying to do it all over again. Also, having four episodes a week has really thrown off the space-time continuum. But this week, I felt like I needed to call in and talk about the only storyline that's been keeping me awake, which is Alice and Chris. I feel so much for Chris because I feel like I'm looking in the future of his life because when I was 23, I married an alcoholic and I had no clue what was going to happen to me or to my life. An alcoholic is really great at making themselves appear different than what they are. They can weave their web of lies and have you believing them in just a moment. 
And then when things start to unravel, they can convince you that you're the crazy one. And the denial that you find yourself in is so challenging to dig yourself out of. I think one thing that this lockdown has done is given the script writers the ability to have the storyline play out fairly well in quarantine, as it's not until you're really stuck with the alcoholic that you really start to put the pieces together. Because otherwise, at least for me, I didn't have the time. And then all of a sudden, there wasn't this distance or time to hide things from me. Chris has his COVID shutdown. I had an extended maternity leave. I hope that he'll see sense and do the best for himself. Although I know some people are strong enough and in love enough to see their relationship through the storm of addiction, I have the same hopes for Chris that I had for myself, that there is a better life for you in your second chance. I hope you all have a wonderful week. This week marks my first week back at work for a full week since March, and I'm excited for some normalcy. Hope you guys are all safe and well. Oh, thank you for that, Margot, with a hard T. Um, obviously, uh, she's kind of digging in deep, as everybody is this week, to Alice and Chris. Uh, but um, quickly, just go to the very end of her call. Um, how has your lockdown been? Uh, it's not been great in part, um, in large part, actually. I've had four friends die during this time. So the hiatus of grief is there because of not being able to go to funerals or to meetups or any kind of wake. So there's been that, you know, work's been stressful, getting a team through working from home and all of the changes that come along with that. So it's it's been tough. It's been very tough. Big relationship problems as well. So, which is why I stuttered over when you asked me earlier, COVID in relationships, Cara, how's that? <laughs> I was like, really? Do you really want to know? Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been hard. It's been hard. But there's a feeling of at least some sort of pattern now beginning to settle in, I guess. You, there you go. That's how it was for me. <laughs> I, I come to a pause. You know, we we very much play dum de dum, not not for for shits and giggles all the time, but there is um, you know a certain levity of tone, and I think it's one of the lovely things about doing the podcast is that people feel comfortable enough actually to share their pain when appropriate, and very and very honestly. Your friends that passed, did any of them succumb to COVID or was it other other illnesses? Uh, one of them did, yeah. Um, and it, it hit them very quickly, which was a great shock to all of us, actually, of course. Um, and the others not. The others um, had uh, conditions that were going on anyway. And one of them was just at the beginning of lockdown. So that was really hard for our friendship group because the funeral... Uh, people or the church didn't really know what the regulations were at that time and so mm. there's a very small number of people that went we had a little thing on zoom when the thing was you know when the service was actually happening but we were all so discombobulated by our very dear friends passing he was one of those people that was absolutely central to our friendship group but also discombobulated with everything that was happening with lockdown so it was literally i think it was like the first or second week of it so it was it was really tough, really tough, very um, odd times in that regard. Yeah. The one thing has been very, I think one of the reasons why uh, so many people are COVID deniers, or at least there are a small but significant potential, uh, proportion of people who deny the kind of virulence and the potency of COVID is because 
so many people haven't been touched in that way, have they, by having one or two people pass with it on a personal level because I'm one of those. I'm not a denier, but I don't know anybody who's suffered from it badly, let alone uh, passed away. So I was really surprised, sorry, when I was speaking to somebody a couple of weeks ago who had three family members die of it in, in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh you know, God. and my my ma and pa uh, go to a church in Birmingham, and that one one of their parishioners uh, has passed away because of it. But then New York Nigel, who has uh, uh, who has a church over in the east side of Manhattan, he's had numerous parishioners actually pass, and and it, and it's incredibly uneven in that way. It's not as if your average person uh, on either side of the Atlantic or throughout the world is seeing their neighbours necessarily being uh, taken out of the houses, you know, by undertakers, so to speak. So it's allowed so many people just to say, oh, this isn't a real thing because there isn't that personal anecdote that uh, we all have in terms of loss. I agree. And I think there's, I mean, there was a lot of, everybody was scared at the beginning, um, whether they were really fed by the media on that or not because it was just so unknown and then when people following that initial sort of frightened state and then they don't see it affect them in their own lives that's when the doubt can set in and there's also something to do with numbers like somebody you can imagine what a group of 100 people looks like because at Mm. some point you know that you can think of that okay that's my extended family group or that was the size of that wedding I went to you can picture that but with our death count now in the UK being, you know, around 45,000, that's a number that's really, really hard to imagine. So that's, again, another layer away that's abstracted from you and the actual reality of, of this virus. So, yes, I, I, I agree with you. You know, the 45,000 death is absolutely horrific. But I'm and same as you, not, not all of my friends have known somebody that's been affected by it, let alone die from mm. it. So, yeah. Well, on, on the whole numbers thing. Uh, there's a Mao quote, isn't there, that one death is a tragedy, 45,000 is merely just a statistic, and I can't quite say that with, with my teeth. But but yeah, <laughs> after a certain level of numbers, you become somewhat numb to them for exactly that reason that you say is you can't quantify it. One thing I want to say about um, to, to Margot's um, thing about the monologues being hard to listen to, I do think with the alcoholism, Margot's right there. Margot's right there. Hearing Alice's interior monologue—that's when the monologues come into play on this. That's been done really well. But the whole thing about finding them hard to listen—it's really true. And my theory on this is there's a lot of research done into commuters and when commuters get the red mist. And one of the reasons why they'll do it is because they're hearing one-sided conversations and your brain automatically tries to fill in the gaps. And I think there's a lot of that going on for us as listeners to the one-sided telephone conversations, et cetera, et cetera, of these monologues. Because we're trying to fill in the gaps. You know what? That is such a stunning bit, bit of insight. All the more reason why you need to come on again. Right, because <laughs> all you all you get from me is the, the odd cheap pun and a link to uh, the next caller in era, but you get proper insight from you, Doc. So so well done. Hi, Royfield, and all Dumpty Dummers worldwide. This is Mia up in Newcastle land. I've only really just caught up with the Dumpty Dum podcast from last week because I had a very busy week, and I listened to it on the drive up back to Newcastle from Essex, where I went to visit my mother. 
for the first time since the 6th of March, and she's doing great. Two things I'd like to mention. The first one is PC Sergeant Harrison Burns, whatever his rank is. And I thought I must have missed something because of you going on about his radio interview thing on the Thursday when I had listened to it, and admittedly it was um, to send me off to sleep. I didn't really think much of it, and that was that really. Plenty of people get bullied, so I just didn't think anything of it. Then I heard the um, podcast where you were all going on about it and shedding tears over over his admission of, uh, of being bullied. And I, I was still completely under, underwhelmed, really, so... I don't know whether that makes me a hard bitch or something else, probably. Um, But I really didn't think much of that. Um, Plenty of people have got bullied at school, unfortunately. But it was hardly a startling um, insight into his past. I I just didn't think it warranted the, the kind of comments afterwards. Anyway, that's by the by. Alish and her drinking. Now, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of comments about that. Um... The one line that she said that really struck me is when she uh, obviously poured herself a drink and went, whoa, the bottle can't be empty already. And that's the only thing that I think that might make her stop to think because everything else is justifiable. I deserve a drink. Um, I'm entitled to this. Oh, it's only a little bit here and there. So I think she might start to wake up from that. Anyway, thanks for everything and take care and look after yourselves. Bye. Uh, thank you for your call, Mia. Um, I did say this many, many, many dum-de-dums ago, but when I was in junior school, I would have been classed uh, as a bully to definitely to one Stephen Tarmy and then uh, to, to David Hogg. I wouldn't say I was a bully, but I was definitely uh, would have been classed as bully to, 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 to them pair. And I look back at my behaviour and I'd done enough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat ashamed. Um, so I say that to you know to somewhat qualify what i'm about to say next and people can read into it whatever they want but i'm completely with me and i did say so last week i think for me it didn't have an emotional resonance though it was supposed to and so many people said that it did i thought the knocking of the pots and pans was completely implausible and way over the top but i do think that in terms of fleshing out the character of harrison because he's such a peripheral character that it did give us uh, some meat on on the bones because we don't know an awful lot about him at all. I think it was needed, but I agree with you, Mia. It didn't have that emotional resonance with me either. Um, What about you, Doc? Uh, I agree completely. It left me completely cold. And then when I saw people on Twitter and Facebook saying it had a tear in their eye, I was like, did I hear something completely different then? Um, and yeah, I mean, I was somebody that was bullied at school. You can't not be when you've got a gay dad in Somerset in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Um, and there was a little bit of me going, you want to talk about bullying, Harrison? Mm. Right, let me sit you down. But you're right. I mean, it was it was a plot device, wasn't it? It was, it was to move him along, which again, yeah, Fallon must be pregnant because why else would we be hearing that? Um, and then obviously Sergeant Burns breaking open the uh, Ring of Horses uh, storyline as well, I guess, whenever they pick us up on that one again. Me is lovely, and I usually usually agree with absolutely everything that she says, and she comes to conference, and she's the one that records our conference dumpty-dums for you. She's absolutely amazing. But I think Alice is just too far down the line to think, okay, the bottle's empty now, I must stop. I think we've gone past that point, literally gone past a tipping point with, with Alice on that one. 
Hey, good pun. Good pun to use. Um, are we going to fight o- as to over who actually owns Mia now as well? Like, you've had, like is you know, person of their own agency and can tell us. <laughs> Uh, moving on <laughs> now it's oh it's somebody from my neck of the woods it's Sarah Spilsbury hi yeah it's Sarah from Smedic here I uh, love Lillian's Zoom meeting and I got a bit of a shock when Royfield phoned in on me but it's all good um I want to talk about Alice now it might feel like a descent into breakfast for breakfast level of drinking seems a bit sudden but I reckon that this has probably been simmering while she's been off off screen as it were because just prior to letting Brian in, she reassures and admits to herself that this is normal. So maybe it is, uh, has been normal for a little while. Regarding her getting called out for having a party when she was uh, shopping for wine at the garage, what she needs to do is buy a load of other stuff so it looks like a casual shop and there just happens to be some wine in with it. Or maybe that is what she did. Uh, but she bought a load of crisps and nuts and canapes and you know, cocktail sausages, Colin the caterpillar cake. Well, alternatively, <laughs> she could have a word with Jenny Darling to find out who did her kitchen, because I remember, mainly because it sounded like something from a work of science fiction, that she had a special <laughs> tap that dispensed sparkling water. So maybe they could do one that uh, pipes in wine, that would stop her having to go out uh, driving whilst uh, on the influence. On a more serious note, I'm reading a lot of speculation online that she's pregnant, and I really hope not. Not just for the sake of the child, but it's been made clear previous occasions that Alice doesn't want kids, and not all women do, but it's seen as a bit of a taboo opinion. So that could make for an interesting storyline. Keep up the good work. Tarara bits. Uh, uh, Royfield was mentioning he might want to uh, adopt that uh, one for himself. If so, uh, I'm very honoured, sir. Okay, over now. Bye-bye. Rather Tarara bit, even. (laughs) (laughs) I'm utterly, utterly, utterly going to steal that. And what a tremendous call. Absolutely. I love Buckfast for breakfast. That's got a beautiful ring <laughs> to it. I think that could be some new merch. <laughs> and and I love the calling the caterpillar cake just to cover your tracks if you are an alcoholic when going down to the, to the market. Do. 24 bottles of wine, but it's okay. She had a cake in there, so she must be right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sarah Spilsbury, you are fast becoming my favourite caller in a row. Uh, uh, right, uh, last call of the episode, it's Carol. Hello, Royfield, Kerry and Peter. And dumpty dummers everywhere. Carol from the Highlands here. I haven't phoned in for a while because I didn't have anything useful to say about the monologues. But last week, I thought things had improved. There was a bit of a narrative running through the monologues and events were progressing. I am, of course, worried about Ed and Emma and that horrid Timothy. In fact, the whole fly-tipping thing nationwide has been upsetting me. And well done to the scriptwriters for being bang up to date and highlighting a current issue. And out of character, Ed did do the right thing, phoning Crime Stoppers. Uh, and I'm going to predict that Timothy will get bang to right. Well, I hope so. I don't think I could take another Grundy disaster. <clears throat> and Alice and Chris are having a tough time, aren't they? Once again, scriptwriter shining a light on another real issue. Kate's desperation for a drink was comedic, yet tragic. Not so good was Emery's attempt at drumming up interest in the Flower and Produce show, 
and stooping to impersonating a child in letter writing. She'll be found out, and my toes are already curling in embarrassment for her, <laughs> but it'll also be fun. Anyway, enjoyed our gin-swilling Zoom evening on Friday, so thanks for that, Royfield. And I hope everyone is uh, keeping well, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye! Ah, uh, bye-bye, Carol. And thanks for bringing up the rear in terms of the caller in Um Right, so we haven't really t- talked an awful lot about Ed and Emma this episode, have we, Cara? No, we haven't. And that's, it's, I mean, that was also, of course, that was the main storyline, wasn't it? And we've just all focused on, on Alice. Mm. I hope Tim does get, you know, put away, bound to rights for that one. Um, I mean, thoughts and prayers with Ed and Emma, with all the kids in the caravan, or sorry, static home, whatever it is at the moment in COVID, that can't be a good thing at all. I was quite surprised to hear Ed's kind of venom against the police, actually. That was a really strong uh, bit of uh, dialogue from him and some real hatred there against the police. And I, I, I didn't know if that was totally in character or not. I don't know. Mm. I wonder if part of that wasn't just, dare I say, cultural, you know, the type of uh, class that Ed comes from. Uh, you don't go to the police, do you? Think, you sort things out yourself type of thing. So there's a certain element of that thrown into it. Yeah, possibly. And I, but I, and the whole thing about, you know, you don't snitch on somebody. But, mm. you know, as he eventually worked out, he would make the call anonymously anyway to Crime Stoppers. Mm. But also, Timothy, you know, he'd, he'd threatened Emma. So what was the dilemma there for him, really? Wouldn't that be the greater pull for him rather than not going to do the police's work for them? But actually, no, this man threatened my wife and that doesn't stand. So, of course, I'm going to phone Crime Stoppers. Mm. True talk, Mrs. True Talk. Right. I've got something to say, though, on the Ooh. Flower and Produce show, okay. if I may. Uh, right, I, so. I like the way you knew I was about to move on. Even though, <laughs> Royfield, stop dead in your tracks, sir. Right, <laughs> go on. This is a quick thing. So I normally love the Foley artists, but the thing that incensed me the most <laughs> was when Emma took the pen in her hand to write the pretend letters for the Flower and Produce show. And the sound effect for that was far too quick a writing. If you're trying to do a child's writing, you put it in your other hand and it'd be really slow and awkward. And she sounded like she had a quill in her hand and was writing epic verse. And that (laughs) really, really annoyed me. (laughs) How much of this is the Foley artist and then how much of that mistake is the director? Because surely the director would have picked that up as well. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, I certainly did. Maybe I, maybe we should all have a go at directing it. But no, you are spot on, though. And we've all done it once or twice. At least parents have. When, you know, you're doing a, a family card and you've got like that three-year-old, four-year-old, and it's to Nan, you know, to yeah. your mum and dad, and you put the pen in your other hand and you write very deliberative and slowly and badly. You, now you say that to me, that didn't sit well with me, just like the pots and pans. Oh. Whether that was good or bad, and I would say it was bad, the fact that he hadn't even stopped talking and the pots and pans started to like to knock, I'm like, how would that even happen in real life? And, and, and again, that was a case of bad direction as opposed to the, the, you know, the Foley artist being uh, not great at their job. But it was just and, – and the, and the reason why those two things stick out is because – the art is, is exemplary with that stuff normally. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. the that's the reason why you just go oh when when it's wrong, it feels incredibly wrong yeah. because the detail is nearly always spot on. They are the gold standard for Foley, I think, and, you know, studied far and wide for what they do. So, yeah, when it stands out, it really stands out. And it's, again, going back to that relationship we have with the show as listeners, as a radio drama, we hear that stuff because it's such an intimate listen mm. to it. You know, we, we won't miss a trick like that. Right. Uh, so that's us, folks. Um, we do actually have an email or two, but we're going to save them up for Auntie Kerry to read them out uh, for next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And now it's a bit of a, a last call. It's a Yokel Bear's last social media roundup. Hello, Dum to Dum. It's Yokel Bear here calling with my final social media roundup. Um, Wow, it's been quite a four years. Um, wow. Anyway, let's crack on, shall we? Um, my final parting gift for the world of Dumpty Dum is in my role as Ambridge Wish Genie, um, I've been granting wishes. 
Um, so let's have a look at what people have wished for. Um, Ryan Schofield said, Brian and Jennifer to get their status back with an even bigger, better kitchen. Right, are you really sure that you want that? Because, you know, Jenny and her kitchen, she's going to go on about it. And mind you, maybe this is the future of Ambridge. Maybe Jennifer's kitchen just expands so much it takes over everything. And in the end, Ambridge is just one big Jennifer kitchen. That's terrifying. That's dystopian, really. But anyway, it's what you wish for, so you can have it. Wish granted. Um, Steve Gibbs said, Pip to finally recognise Rex for the kind-hearted soul that he really is. Uh, but then Steve goes on to say, and offers him a blowy behind the chicken coop. Well, Steve, that wish took a bit of a turn, didn't it? Um, but if that's what you want, wish granted. Um, Sue Lee says, Kirsty should find a good chap or chapess. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good wish to have. And also, I want to kind of um, also talk about a wish that um, Bobby Petford said, which is a happy lesbian stroke bisexual love affair. Um, yeah, because apart from Ian Nadam, anybody else who was non-heterosexual uh, didn't stick around long, did they? Um, Anna Tregoran, um, um, Charlie Thomas, the the that guy that was the milkman and um, on the Ambridge Extra as well. Can't remember his name. Hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe a little bit more representation that's longer term that isn't in and Adam. So yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, wish granted for both of you. Um, also as well, um, talking of this, Rosie McGlynn said, what do you desire? Well, Adam to take a trip to Fife to see Roger. Um, he sends Charlie a WhatsApp and they end up bonding in a bothy. <laughs> That's a euphemism if ever I've heard one. Um, and Adam decides to stay in Scotland and Lexi returns to help Ian with Xander and she and Roy get back together. Um, so, yeah, I quite like that one, actually. I think, you know, Adam would be a bit happier, I think, maybe. Um, or maybe not, because like, it's Adam, isn't it? Um, and yes, do we want to see Lexi back? Yes, we do. And if this is the way it's going to happen, wish granted. Um, Claire Asprey. Now, your wish, I'm just going to grant straight away. Wish granted, Claire. Wish granted. Because Claire said, Charlie Thomas arrives at your door, yokel bear. Whew. Yes. Whew. Gave me a shiver just thinking about that. Um, Tom Williams said, Freddie takes over Lower Loxley and finds it's, it's his niche and he's very good at it. Um, yeah, I think that that is a good wish because I think Freddie has really started to come into his own. And also as well, he, he is kind of quite good with people, really. Um, he's quite the extra. He's turning into a bit of a Nigel. Yeah, he's taken after his dad. And I think kind of putting him in somewhere like that. He's made some mistakes, but... I think he'll do well. Um, the other thing that Tom Williams suggested, um, I'm going to grant just because I think it could be quite interesting, which is a spin-off series of Harrison's Nick, the police station. Um, I think that'd be brilliant. 
um, if only because it will just really show up how little Harrison does. <laughs> It'd be like 50% of the show would just be in the tea room. Um, one of the most popular wishes, sorry, Tom, wish, wish granted. Um, one of the most popular wishes that a lot of people said is, uh, as Helen James said, the Grundys get some good fortune. Um, Kirsty finds a lovely partner and Chris gets his much wanted baby. But the, it's the Grundys. Everyone wants the Grundys to have something good happen that's permanent. Um, and I think that's a long time coming. So script writers, I'm granting this wish, which means legally you have to do it. The Grundys get some good fortune. Wish granted. Um, also as well, a lot of people wanted Rob to get his comeuppance. Um, oh, wish granted. Let's not even discuss it. Yeah, wish granted. We're coming for you, Tichina. Um Also as well, we did. I did post something else about mentioning about this fly-tipping story, about whether it was really interesting. And also kind of got people, well, if, if that's not as interesting, then pitch me an amusing or exciting plot line to go along. The mistake I made <laughs> there was saying that fly tipping wasn't very interesting it turns out fly tipping <laughs> people have very strong views on it and probably rightly so because it's the countryside whether it happens anywhere do you know what i mean it's like it's a bad thing isn't it so um so if you want to go and see a real good discussion about the rights and wrongs of fly tipping though there wasn't many rights, um, head over to our Facebook page and look under the post about fly tipping. Um, yes, didn't really get many suggestions about other plot lines there. Anyway, that's me done. Like, literally, done. Um, I also want to say, on behalf of myself and Millie, um, all the messages that you posted when we, we announced that we would be moving on, um, it really means a lot, um, and I'm just really happy to have been part of Dumpty Dum for, you know, to, to be doing this for as long as we have. It is just time to move on. I've got lots of work and stuff that I need to concentrate on, um, but the people that have made it, you know, really worthwhile is you, the listeners. you just brilliant, your humour and everything like that. And to see all those messages... Um, Wishing us well. Uh, I mean, it just really got us, you know, it's it really made our day. So, so long. Farewell. I'm not going to sing. I'm not doing the sound of music. Um, it's been a blast. And your new social media team and social media roundup team are going to be brilliant. You're going to love them. That's me done. Yoko Bear out. Thank you, Mr. Bear. And I know I did say this on Friday, Mark, but I really thank you for your dedicated service of the last four years um, of doing the social media roundup. You've brought your love of the archers, of this whole construct, of the whole world of Borsetshire into your five, six, seven minutes every other week. And you have forged a bond between uh, the show and uh, the listeners, specifically uh, the Dumdy Dummers on Facebook. So got to thank you for that. And the times when you've come and stood on the stage when we've done live shows and, and delivered your monologues, 
whenever we said it's kind of yokel beer, there's always been like a little bit of a gasp and the ripple that goes through the audience as, as you got up on stage. And I know specifically the first time you were incredibly nervous and dare I say you were shit scared. And I know that for you personally, you were slaying demons, not only to come to Birmingham, come up from Bristol, but also to get on stage and to deliver that because public speaking isn't your forte. And you've said to me off mic that you've been honest with, with Dumdy Dummers, that you have had uh, moments where you haven't felt particularly confident in and of yourself. And I really have questioned yourself, Mark, but you are an incredibly funny person and I only wish I had half of your wit and I wish you all the best in the future and that sounds like I'm like waving goodbye to you just because you're not going to be doing this every week doesn't mean that you can't stop listening Mr Everton you've got to continue to listen obviously to the Arches but also to Dum De Dum and maybe every now and then I'll coax you into doing one another social media roundup but again thank you for your service sir and uh, there will be a medal uh, dispatched to you sometime soon and then you'll be called up to Lower Loxley and I think Lizzie will pin it on your chest or something or another. So again, thank you for everything that you've done for Dum Dum, mate, and uh, best of luck in the future. That was lovely. I think for both of us, we couldn't keep either of our shows on the road without the people that volunteer and help us out. So yeah, very good words, Wayfield. Well, you know what? He deserves them. He really does. It's uh, kind of the end of the show. And I turn around and say this. I go dumptydum.com. Go there. It's got a shop. But also, maybe you should head over to the Academic Archers. Uh, Where can people find the Academic Archers online? Academicarchers.net. You'll find everything there, our whole story. And then same for Twitter. And then just put Academic Archers into Facebook and you'll find us. We are going to do something together next year, aren't we? We're going to do like a proper thingette. I hope so. Yes, we will talk more on that, Wayfield. We will. We 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 got to sort it out, uh, but I think that would be that would be awesome. Bear in mind, let's hope that the current pandemic is over, so we can actually you know meet meet in public. <laughs> you know, kind of presupposing there, aren't we? Say dumdrum.com, go there, but also go to the academicarchers.net. Remember to get in contact. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on our website, which is dumdydum.com, of course, or you can call us on 0203 0313105 to leave us a message or send us a text message starting with the word DUM, D-U-M, to 077862 Now, if you put a plus and a 44 on, if you're abroad, that will also get to us too. Now, uh, one way you can help to support this whole kit and caboodle is by going to patreon.com and for the princely sum of two US dollars per show, uh, you can become a Patreon. Uh, and what that means is uh, whenever we've got a shell out for stuff like um, Cara and Nicholas flights to New York so that you can go and, <laughs> go and speak to Witherspoon. <laughs> We've actually got some money in the bank. But no, seriously, uh, hosting a website, it's not the most expensive thing in the world, but there are costs. And uh, for argument's sake, SpeakPipe costs. Uh, so all the, it's all the various plugins and things like that. So um, if you become a Patreon, ooh, I wouldn't have love you. Another way you can support the podcast is by going on to Apple iTunes and writing us a review. I know not everyone's on Apple iTunes, but so whatever your podcatcher of choice is, go on there, 
and uh, scribble us down a review. Though the Apple iTunes ones are incredibly important because we get up those podcast charts and we got all the way to number three in uh, TV and media. So let's try and get back up there again. Now, I say this every week, but it's incredibly important in the whole kind of genus uh, of Dum Dum. But we started on Twitter. You can find Yokel Bear at Yokel Bear, quite simply. And he ain't funny. And he does give you, he does open the door into his life if you follow him on Twitter. You can find Dum Dum at Dum Dum. Auntie Kerry Warbis can be found at Kerry Warbis, spelled K E R I W A R B I S. Peter Fickling can be found at Pete Fickling. I can be found at Royfield. Now, where can you be found, Cara? I'm at Cara Courage. Um, and Nicola is not work Nicola, I think, at not work Nicola. I'm glad I didn't have to say Peter's surname. I'm glad you read that out, Woodfield. <laughs> uh, well, Nicola, she's absolutely working right now, isn't she? That's the reason she why is. she couldn't join us for the, for the second half of the recording. She's in a deep data set to send off to the government. Yeah, rather her than me. Sounds like a question I should have asked really at the start of the show. But you're both doctors, but you're not medical doctors, are you? So what exactly do the pair of you actually do as a day job? So I run a, a sort of a department, I guess, at Tate called Tate Exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do a lot of work with artists that are activists, socially engaged, really politically minded. And then Nicola has worked with policy. So she's an independent UK Northern policy advisor. Good heavens. So all that yeah. Northern Powerhouse stuff, is that what we're talking about? She used to head up the Northern Powerhouse, yes, and now she's gone independent. Crumbs. Yeah, isn't it? A, what, a woman of gravitas. I'm not saying that you're yeah. not, but <laughs> <laughs> that came out slightly wrong. You're both women <laughs> of immense gravity. There you go. All right, Doc and Doc. Oh, gosh, Facebook. Yeah, go to Facebook. Oh, yes, news on Facebook. Right before we uh, completely say goodbye, uh, we are because we do have a new social media team, and they're all kind of getting in place and getting all comfortable. And we are going to be turning off or at least suspending the Dum De Dum page because we're moving to a group, which means that we kind of are starting again. Um, but uh, why don't you go on to Facebook, type in Dum De Dum. And you should see two dum dums now. One, one's a page, one's a group. Uh, go join the group. Uh, we're still putting it together. We haven't officially kind of launched it, but you know, if you listen to this now, uh, why don't you go over there and make yourself comfortable? Now, the big difference between a, a page and a group is we don't have to direct it, basically. So you can go and put your own posts there. The only thing we ask you is let's keep the dum dum tone. Let's not, uh, nothing sexist and uh, nothing racist, etc. One of the lovely things about Dum De Dum online is the tone has always been civil, somewhat irreverent and fun. And I know that some of these archers groups can be uh, pools of viciousness. None of yeah. that on Dum De Dum. Uh, academic archers is kind of free of all that as well, isn't it? We've done pretty well. In the six years we've been going, I don't even know that we're in double figures of people that we've had to uh, ban from the group, which is pretty good. Pretty good. The group's really good at self-policing and they're very good at telling me and Nicola as admins, oi, you know, this person's acting a bit out of line. Dum-de-dummers, I know you won't let me down, but more importantly, don't let yourselves down and whatever when you when you go on to the group. Uh, and then, and if you're not already, 
you should sign up for the academic archers on, on the older uh, Facebook. Now, when people do that, do you just l- let them in willy nilly or, or how does it work? That's a really good question. We do ask people to answer some questions just so we get um, an idea that you're a real person and um, a real proper fan of the archers and not somebody that's snarky or trolling or anything like that. So if you do come along and, and ask to join the page or the group, um, please do answer the questions and then we'll let you in straight away. And we can't wait to see you. Cool. And as I said at, at the start of the show, if they'll let me in, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody who is kicked off of his BTEC, <laughs> right, not even his degree, they'll let I anybody in. Probably 10% of the people on that group are actually academics and everybody else is one of our research fellows with their encyclopedic knowledge of the archers. So everybody's welcome. I like that. A research fellow. Kicked off my B-Tech, but I'm a research fellow. Yeah, go on. Off you go. I want to hear a reaction. Uh, Cara, listen, thank you for coming on to Dumpty Dum. Say thank you also to Nicola for me, uh, (laughs) for gracing us for the first half of the show. And we'll see you in, I don't know, about six months time. And there'll be you, you pair and with a spoon. That would be amazing. Oh, my gosh. Take care, everybody. ta a bit. So long. Farewell. I'll be just saying good night. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. So long, farewell. I'll be just saying adieu. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you. No. <laughs> so long, farewell, I'll be just saying goodbye. I leave and heave a sigh and say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm glad to go, I cannot tell a lie. I flit, I float. I fleetly flee, I fly. The sun has gone to bed, and so must I. So, so long, So long, farewell. I'm not going to sing. I'm not doing the sound of music. Um, it's been a blast.